I invite you to turn in your Bibles with me to the book of Galatians. Galatians chapter 4, starting in verse 21. Our current series is called The Truth of the Gospel. Because that's what Paul was trying to preserve for and in the Galatians. The Galatian churches, founded by Paul himself, were on the brink of spiritual disaster. False teachers had snuck into these churches and had just about convinced the Galatians to believe a different gospel than the one that Paul had taught them. What was it? The Galatians were being taught that they had to add keeping the law of Moses to their faith in Jesus to be right with God. They were taught that they had to add keeping the law of Moses to their faith in Jesus to be right with God. These Gentile Christians, these Gentile Galatians were being told that they had to get circumcised. They had to eat kosher. They had to observe special days, months, seasons, and years. They had to obey the Ten Commandments to be justified and to stay justified. But Paul, like a good first responder, says, that's not how it works. And he rushes in with the book of Galatians. For four chapters, Paul has been trying to convince these people that believing this alternative gospel would be disastrous for them, ruinous. He's come at it from a lot of different ways. Last week in verses 11 through 20 of this chapter, he pleaded with them. He reminded them of their long, warm history together, and he warned them that the false teachers were just flattering them for their own selfish purposes. And Paul opened his heart to them about hope how perplexed and concerned he was for their spiritual well-being. Paul is not done trying to win these Galatians back to the truth of the gospel of grace. In this next paragraph, he takes yet another tack. He goes on the offensive against the false teachers and takes the battle right to them. And he goes back to Father Abraham. Paul is a careful and deep student of his Old Testament, and he knows that the false teachers must have been drawing heavily from their Old Testaments, especially the law, the Torah, the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Old Testament. So Paul goes back to the Old Testament, back to the Pentateuch, back to Father Abraham, whom they were undoubtedly proud of uh, proud to be connected to, and shows again how Abraham's story proves the truth of his gospel, not theirs. And he does it in a very surprising and unexpected way. Paul has already talked about Abraham's faith in the promises of God and how they came before the law back in chapter 3. But now he draws from another story in Abraham's life. And I, I don't know about you, but I would have never thought to do it this way. Paul draws from the story of Abraham's first two Sons. I'm going to call this sermon, Abraham had two sons, from verse 22. Of course, Abraham physically had more than just two sons, but these two sons were the two potential heirs of all of God's promises in the Abrahamic covenant. That word heir has been pretty important in this letter so far, hasn't it? And these two potential heirs were two very different sons because they came from very different mothers, in very different ways. 
And Paul sees in these two sons a recognizable pattern that appears again and again in the Bible and corresponds to the two different Gospels that are duking it out in the Galatian churches in Paul's day. It's very surprising and a little hard to follow, but the upshot is very obvious. It's the same upshot that's been running through this whole letter. If you've thought, I have been a broken record this summer, well, that's because Paul is being a broken record. Paul spells it out very clearly in verse 1 of chapter 5. So we'll read through to that as our conclusion verse this week. Galatians 4, 21 through 5, 1. I invite you to follow along as I read. Tell me. You who want to be under the law, are you not aware of what the law says? For it is written that Abraham had two sons, one by the slave woman and the other by the free woman. His son by the slave woman was born in the ordinary way, but his son by the free woman was born as the result of a promise. These things may be taken figuratively, for the women represent two covenants. One covenant is from Mount Sinai and bears children who are to be slaves. This is Hagar. Now Hagar stands for Mount Sinai in Arabia and corresponds to the present city of Jerusalem because she is in slavery with her children. But the Jerusalem that is above is free and she is our mother. For it is written, be glad, O barren woman who bears no children. Break forth and cry aloud, you who have no labor pains, because more are the children of the desolate woman than of her who has a husband. Now you brothers, like Isaac, are children of promise. At that time, the son born in the ordinary way persecuted the son born by the power of the Spirit. It is the same now. But what does the Scripture say? Get rid of the slave woman and her son, for the slave woman's son will never share in the inheritance with the free woman's son. Therefore, brothers, we are not children of the slave woman, but of the free woman. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then, and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. Let's pray together. Lord, this is... uh, fascinating and kind of confusing and yet the upshot is very clear he just said it there in verse one help us lord to get it to feel the weight of it maybe to get it in a way we never have before to see it more clearly as paul lays out these two paths these 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 two these these two patterns these two covenants i pray father that we would we would get the force of it and it would move us. It would move our hearts that we would trust in Jesus more fully. And we would walk step by step with Him by faith. Lord, Paul is so concerned about this. Help it, Lord, to be our concern in this time. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Before we try to understand why, understand Paul's argument here, I think it would help to back up and remind ourselves why this thing is so important. I mean, Paul obviously thinks it's important or he wouldn't go to all this trouble to make these arguments. What's he so concerned about? He's concerned about the truth of the gospel. Remember, the gospel is the power of God for salvation. Is salvation important? Yeah, it's pretty important. Salvation comes by, from believing the gospel. So it's, it's incredibly important. It's, 
It's unimaginably important. What happens if you don't have the gospel? You don't have salvation. What if you believe the wrong gospel? Then you don't have the power of salvation. That's why it's so important. Paul is afraid that these Galatians are going to throw out the truth of the gospel for legalism and the results will be spiritually disastrous. And that's not just for the Galatians. That's for us today. We need to get the truth of the gospel right so that we have the power of God for the salvation of all who believe. It's that important. So Paul says, verse 21, right after confessing his perplexion with the Galatians, tell me, you who want to be under the law, are you not aware of what the law says? In other words, he's saying, you want to talk Old Testament? You want to talk Torah? Okay, let's go back to Genesis, verse 22. For it is written that Abraham had two sons, one by the slave woman and the other by the free woman. Okay, test time. Pop quiz, class. What are the names of these two sons? You know this story, right? From Genesis. It's been a while since we were in Genesis together, but you've probably read it uh, at some point. What was the name of Abraham's firstborn son? Ishmael, right. What's the name of his mother? Hagar, right. What's the name of Abraham's second son? Isaac, right. What's the name of his mom? Sarah, excellent. Now, which of those mothers was a slave woman? Hagar, right. Okay, you guys know this. So Sarah then would be the free woman. These two sons had the same father, but that was just about the only thing they had in common. Look at verse 23. His son by the slave woman was born in the ordinary way, literally according to the flesh. But his son by the free woman was born as the result of a promise. Do you remember how this story and how the, the story of how they're the two different births came about. It's not a very pretty story. It's kind of like a soap opera or maybe an episode of Jerry Springer or Dr. Phil. If if you have time, go back and read Genesis 16 through 21 this afternoon and refresh your memory of this story. Basically, Abraham married the slave woman Hagar and had a baby by her because of unbelief. We think of Father Abraham. Well, at that point, he was father, father un, of unfaith, unfaith, unbelief. And it was actually Sarah's idea. Which of these two ladies had been promised a son? Sarah, right? But 10 years had gone by, and she was 90 years old. And she didn't really believe that God was going to do it. Maybe God needed some help. So she got Hagar involved, believing, I think, that God helps those that help themselves. What, where is that in the Bible? Right? I think that's what Paul means by saying that Ishmael was born in the ordinary way, or according to the flesh. Now, that word flesh could mean born through physical means, or even by sinful means. We use flesh in both of those ways. But I think that Paul is emphasizing that Ishmael was born by these people taking matters into their own hands. Ishmael was conceived by works, by doing, not by faith. 
Not by trusting in God's promises, but by the opposite, unbelief. By making God's promises come true, by forcing His hand through their human efforts. You see that? See what he contrasts it with, how he contrasts it. Verse 23 again. His son by the slave woman was born according to the flesh, but his son by the free woman was born as the result of a promise. Not nature, but supernature. Not naturally, but supernaturally. Not by works, but by faith. Not by what God does, but by what these people did. Do you see that? you see that? But when Isaac came about, he was the result of God's promise. He he was a gift. He was grace. He was not what Abraham and Sarah deserved, clearly, but he was what God had promised. You see that? You see the, the contrast there? Now, Paul makes a big deal out of their social statuses of the, of the mothers. Which mother was a slave? Hagar. And Paul has been harping on this idea of slavery, hasn't he? The last several weeks, as we've been in Galatians, he's been talking about slavery and escaping slavery. So, so look where he takes this, verse 24. These things may be taken figuratively, for the women represent two covenants. One covenant is from Mount Sinai and bears children who are to be slaves. This is Hagar. Now, let's just wait a second, because this is where it gets confusing. It's easy to get lost at this point in the letter, especially if you have a translation like the King James or the ESV that uses the word allegory in that verse. The Greek word is allegorimena, which which is where we get our word allegory from, and it means to use one set of things to speak of another set of things. But we tend to use the word allegory today to mean using one set of things that is not real, to speak of another set of things that is real, like sometimes like a parable or something like that. The greatest allegory in English literature is Pilgrim's Progress, a fictional story where everything stands for a spiritual reality. But that's not how Paul is using that word here. Paul is using one set of things to speak of another set of things, but the first set of things is historical and real. Paul discerns a real, recognizable pattern here in the Bible that he then lines up all of the points of correspondence so that we can see the pattern for ourselves. That's what he means by allegory here. It's stronger than the old NIV makes it. It's not just that these things can be taken figuratively. It's that these things are to be seen as lining up in this way. That's why the 2011 NIV says these things are being taken figuratively because they do represent a recognizable pattern. Let's see what it is. These two women represent two covenants. One covenant is from Mount Sinai and bears children who are to be slaves. This is Hagar. Okay, you got it? Hagar stands for the old covenant, the Mosaic covenant, the law that was given at Mount Sinai. And if you think that the law is going to give you freedom, you've got another think coming. Verse 25. Now Hagar stands for Mount Sinai in Arabia and corresponds to the present city of Jerusalem because she is in slavery with her children. Now that would have flabbergasted the false teachers. They would have never associated themselves with Hagar. Not in a million years. So so Paul is... Paul is going on the offensive here, okay? And specifically, he, he means to offend them. 
Paul says, oh yeah, that's who you guys are. You are the children of Hagar. Why? Because Hagar's children come from the flesh. They are according to the flesh. According to works. According to getting things done for God. And they are slaves. They love the law. And the law does not set free. The law actually makes slaves. Not because the law is bad. We, we always have to add that here. But, but because we are sinners and we can't keep the law. The law shows us that we need Christ. But the law doesn't justify us. Because by works of the law, no one will be justified. And if you add law keeping, you're going to be a slave. In other words, Hagar is your mama. Now, Hagar corresponds to the present city of Jerusalem because she is in slavery with her children. Jerusalem, in in this time of Paul's day, should be the center of faith. But that's where the law-keeping trouble is coming from. Now, again, these are fighting words. I'm sure that these folks would have been infuriated. The false teachers would have been infuriated who had infiltrated the Galatian churches. But these words needed to be said. Legalism is a false gospel and it enslaves. But, verse 26, but the Jerusalem that is above is free and she is our mother. You see the contrast he's setting up? He's lining up Sarah, who's got her faith on, and the heavenly Jerusalem, the Jerusalem that is still to come, the people of God who believe the promises of the Abrahamic covenant and the new covenant ratified by Jesus' blood, and he says, that's all of us. But the Jerusalem that is above is free, and she is our mother. Sarah's our mom. If you believe the gospel of grace in Jesus Christ, you belong to this side of the column. Are you with me? I know it's confusing. I know it's confusing. You see how he's lining up things into into two different columns, right? In this one column is Ishmael, Hagar, the flesh, Sinai, the law, the old covenant, the present Jerusalem, slavery. In the other column is Isaac, Sarah, the promise, the Jerusalem above, the new covenant, freedom. And he's asking, which one do you want? And he pulls out another stop in the Old Testament. Isaiah 54, verse 1. The first verse after the amazing chapter about the suffering servant in Isaiah 53. Look at verse 27. For it is written, Be glad, O barren woman, who bears no children. Break forth and cry aloud, you who have no labor pains, because more are the children of the desolate woman than of her who has a husband. Now that's drawn from a different time period. That's not from the Torah. That's from the major prophets. Isaiah is prophesying to the people of God in exile. And he's promising that even though it looks like they are barren, Jerusalem was destroyed, God had plans for a great reversal. He's still going to bring all of his promises to fruition. You can count on it. The exile will end through the suffering of the servant. There will be a massive blessing unleashed on the people of God. I think that Paul draws from this, from Isaiah here, because in the context it talks about Sarah. And she also was a barren woman who was eventually given a promised child over against a woman who temporarily had the affections of her husband. The point is that God is in the business of surprising people with the miraculous keeping of His promises and bringing blessing where it never seemed possible. All is a gift. All of grace. Because of the suffering of Jesus on the cross. 
Be glad, O barren woman, because you're going to have a baby when you least expect it. Trust in God and His promises, and you will be children of promise. Verse 28. Now you brothers, like Isaac, are children of promise. That's who you are. If you believe. If you put your faith in Jesus and Jesus alone. Do you see how Paul is dead set on helping these people to see who they really are? We've seen it the last three weeks. Sons in the Son. Heirs of the promise. Known by God. You're no longer a slave, but free. If you believe the true Gospel, the one about grace, you are like Isaac. Children of promise. You're on this side of the ledger. And it's going to hurt. Just because you're on the correct side of the ledger doesn't mean that it's all a bed of roses. In fact, it's, it's the opposite. You can expect persecution for believing the gospel of grace. Look at verse 29. At that time, the son born in the ordinary way, Ishmael, persecuted the son born by the power of the Spirit. It is the same now. It's going to hurt. Ishmael mocked Isaac and gave him a hard time in Genesis chapter 21. It's part of the consequences of sin that these conflicts come. Those who are legalists and are trying to be justified by their law-keeping will not like it if you hold to the gospel of grace. So in the short run, you're going to have trouble. And lots of it. Don't be surprised if you believe the right gospel and have a very hard life. Don't expect to have your best life now. Jesus said to expect Trouble. In this world you will have trouble. Paul says elsewhere, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. He says, it is the same now. But that's just the short run. You see what happens? Verse 30. But what does the Scripture say? Get rid of the slave woman and her son, for the slave woman's son will never share in the inheritance with the free woman's son. That's what happens to those that believe the false gospel of law-keeping. You see how important this is? You see what the stakes are? Paul quotes Genesis 21.10, which were Sarah's words, probably sinfully motivated, but were authorized in the end by the Lord Himself. The slave woman's son will never share in the inheritance with the free woman's son. So which do you want to be? Verse 31 Therefore, brothers, we are not children of the slave woman, but of the free woman. That's why Jesus died. Chapter 5, verse 1. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then, and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. Two points of application this morning. They are both the logical conclusion of Paul's allegorical argument from Genesis. Number one, stand firm. On Christ alone. Stand firm on Christ alone. Paul says Jesus died to set us free. Believe that and live free. Stand firm on Christ alone. You are a child of promise. You are the child of the free woman. You are a citizen of the Jerusalem above that is still to come. She is your mother. That is who you are. It's so important to know who you are. Right? Every, every day we, we tell ourselves who we are. Look in the mirror and you remind yourself who you are. You're always processing thoughts every day about 
Who am I? You know, and you play out your identity, right? You play, I'm a mom. I'm a dad. I'm a student. I'm a worker, right? Whatever your identities are, you live out of those. This says, you are the child of the Jerusalem that is above. You are a child of promise. You are the child of the free woman. I love that he says it's the Jerusalem that's above, and he contrasts it with the present Jerusalem. So that's kind of both space and time. The Jerusalem above that is going to come. Right? That's who you are. I love that Paul gets that from a very detailed study of the Old Testament. There is so much in the Old Testament to get. We will never exhaust the riches of our Bibles, especially if we don't study them. I can't believe how many professing Christians don't bother to read their Bibles carefully. Look what Paul found just by reading his Bible. God does not help those who help themselves. That's in poor Richard's almanac. That's not in the Bible. Don't do things the Hagar way. Trust in Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone. Trust in the suffering servant and the suffering servant alone. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him. And by his wounds we are healed. And that's enough. So that we're free. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm. Have you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ and Him alone? There is no greater thing. Like a 90-year-old barren woman who then miraculously gives birth in total joy. Stand firm. Live out of your identity in Christ. Remember what column you are in and live like it. Stand firm in Christ alone. And number two, don't go back to slavery. Look again at verse 1. Stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. Don't go back. Don't go back to sin and don't go back to the law. Don't trust in law keeping for your justification. You want to be tossed out on your ear? You want to be associated with Ishmael? I'm sure that rankled the false teachers. To be lumped in with Hagar and Ishmael when they surely saw themselves as the heirs of Abraham and Isaac. But they weren't. They were the children of the slave woman because they were choosing slavery all over again and they were recommending it to these Gentiles. Don't let that be you. Don't go back to sin. Don't go back to the law. Don't go back to the elementary principles of the world. Put your faith in Jesus Christ alone and stand right there. Don't back down. Don't go back to slavery. Paul is not done yet. He has some of the strongest words he's ever written yet to come. Next week we'll look at that. And more of the consequences that come when you go back to slavery. Friends, it's really bad. That's why Paul is so worked up. Because all of this is so important. Who and what you're trusting in for your justification before God is of total importance. Don't trust in your obedience. Don't trust in your church going. Don't trust in your relationship with some organized religion. Don't trust in your good works. Don't trust in your pastor. Don't trust in your law keeping. Don't trust in being a good person. 
Trust in Jesus Christ alone and what He did for you on the cross because that is where freedom is. And it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Let's pray together.